Hello, and welcome to the Decking Awesome Games podcast, where we talk about how to create your own board game, our journey through the board game industry, and chat about board game culture in Ireland. My name is Owen, and I'm joined today by my awesome sister and brother-in-law, Kira and Brian. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm Kira. Today, we're going to talk about developing board game ideas and creating your first prototype. We'll discuss tips and tricks on how to create your prototypes, what to do when you have it, and what you're trying to accomplish with the prototype. All right, so you have an idea for a board game. How are you going to flesh it out? I suppose there's two different ways that we've kind of commonly come up with ideas for our games is you can either build from the mechanic up or the theme down. I kind of like to, you know, if you're playing a lot of games and you come across a mechanic that you really like, that you can you can go, oh, you know, what if we did that mechanic with, you know, this little twist or we put these two mechanics together or, you know, this is a completely different mechanic that I've never seen in any game. Let's see if we can build a game up from this. I suppose you probably kind of go more for, oh, this would be a great theme for a game. Yeah, I, I did it, especially for Dice Owners anyway. I did it uh, team down. I came up with the idea of summoning creatures. So similar to like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic the Gathering and that kind of stuff. But I was trying to figure out a cool way, because summoning the monsters seems to be the most coolest part of that game. And there's there's all these ideas about creating the symbols and symbology around the summoning. And also using the lore that was already out there between like Enochian and Demon Altry. Especially with Demon Altry, there's always like these Satanists and stuff like that coming for these summoning symbols and trying to create an actual game around that. And it wasn't until the first few prototypes, at least, that the idea behind dice and using a dice as some sort of conduit to actually create the symbols around the summoning, that was that, that kind of came about. So yeah, it was probably teamed down. That's probably what I, I went with. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know Mechanic Up can, can provide you with another kind of complication where... I've changed the theme of, say, bumper bots, where it's a, a kind of chaotic worker placement. You tell your workers where to go, but they might run away on you or do their own thing. But I've changed themes on that four or five times now, so it, it keeps it keeps changing and moving and bouncing around. It's it's hard to it's hard to settle in on one from the word go. So leave yourself open to to changes as well when you come up with the first idea. I mean, it's great to think, this is it, I'm done, no more changes needed, but there'll always be changes. Yeah, yeah, especially when you're coming up with a complete product, because the, the, you're trying to think of the whole idea. And at this early stage in the in the prototyping and the ideas, it's, just, it's much better to be kind of freer of, of any kind of restrictions to allow you to kind of choose however you want to go. So I think for the games I design, I like to tell a story, and I'm just trying to find a mechanic that lets me do that. So I'm more looking for a mechanic that suits what I have an idea for. Yeah, so it's kind of a mixture of both. Yeah. So after that very helpful piece of advice, all we can say is, there's lots of different ways to come up with an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think, I think it does, it does, there is kind of a little bit of structure between the mechanics and the teams. Maybe the team doesn't even come into it until you're much further down. Maybe the mechanics of the game are kind of a little bit hazy at the start uh, and you have a solid team. Okay, so after you have your idea for uh, uh, some mechanics and some teams, next step is you're going to create a prototype. Okay, so what is a prototype? So a, pro- a prototype is, is essentially, Webster's Dictionary defines prototype, <laughs> is, is essentially uh, just make a version of the game. You know, if it's hand drawn on a piece of paper, if you sit down and, you know, you use Excel to create boxes, if you're good with graphic editing software, you want to design a really fancy looking one from the word go, you know, do do whatever it takes just to get that first prototype out and made. I guarantee you there'll be 6,000 changes between that one and your your final product. So it, it doesn't have to be a very time-intensive task, but, you know, get something out there and made. 
yeah, yeah. I think I think the time intensive thing is is what catches a lot of people out. A lot of people will tend to want to go for something quite nice, something quite lovely looking. Spend a lot of time on the artwork, maybe. Um, like like even looking up artwork online using Creative Commons artworks, you don't need to do any of that really. You can just kind of create something that's very bare bones, very straightforward, and you'd be surprised at how people's imaginations kind of takes them away a lot of the time. Make it look like a game, first of all. And I find it much easier to doodle on blank playing cards than I do to have everything planned out with a pencil so that I can rub it all out <laughs> or just throw them out because the complexity of some games or what you have in your head, trying to build it on a computer can be quite daunting alone because it can be very hard to see the whole construct fully formed. So it's easier if you know that you're going, you want to have something done by cards or you want to have a random deck of things to just start filling in a few random cards and then trying to see what is missing rather than trying to go straight onto a computer and figure out that these are all like people jumping, uh, stats for people jumping or something like that, and then filling that all in. Because that can be really difficult to to envisage what you're missing if you don't have it in physical form. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think board game designers have a problem when they're doing their first prototype or their first game is that they see prototyping in other industries or even in other board gamers, and they see it as this kind of structured playtesting where there's like questions and they, they play a game and then they change the game for your first prototype you're probably going to be changing it on the fly you'll probably play like one or two rounds and then you'll just like start using your eraser and changing everything or putting in new characters yeah putting in new mechanics it's, it's going to be so freeform that uh, actually having any sort of structure is kind of a hindrance you can, I know you can go onto Amazon and buy thousand blank playing cards for a couple of euro and, you know, as the game goes on, you can write new ones and slip them in, swap them out. You can do it all in pencil and rub them out. You can buy little card sleeves, I'm sure. I'm sure lots of people have card sleeves on their games. Uh, you can simply just write them on a piece of paper if you, if you don't want to buy cards and just pop them into them. And it works just as well. You can swap in and out very easily, make changes, as Owen said, on the fly as you're going and uh, play and see what works, what doesn't. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, okay, so what about creating an instruction manual? Should you create an instruction manual uh, for the first prototype? I've never been able to. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I know dice summoners, uh, the idea was there. Our core idea of matching symbols stayed for a long time after we came up with the final version of that. But things like player order or whether it was simultaneous or not, we changed that in uh, regularly while yeah. we were building it. Yeah. And uh, Save Princess Snowball, I like to think I didn't really know what I wanted people to do at the start. I had a vague idea. I had one note card saying, try and save the bunny rabbit. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> I know one of for when making prototypes, one of the daunting bits for me is writing a writing a rule book or an instruction manual. Mostly because you have to sit down and think about everything to do with the game, and then you know you've you've made the prototype, and as you're writing the rules, you think, oh, you know, it'd be great to add that in, and then you're going, oh, I have to go back and change the prototype, and it can for me anyway. I know it can get frustrating, and you want to you want to just go, ah, I give up on this. It's just too much. Every time I think of something, I have to add something else or take something else out. What I like to do is kind of just make a bullet point list of rules as I go. 
and then as you're as you're play testing you know if a rule doesn't work you cross it out with the pen and you can rewrite it or change it or add in new rules as you go you're not having to rewrite a whole uh, a whole instruction manual when you get the game through a good few stages of prototypes and you're not making as many changes as that it's only tweaks and values that you're changing at that stage then look at rewriting it and and formatting it properly and writing out the it in a language that's pleasant to read rather than just six a four pages of bullet points yeah yeah I, I think i'd agree with that there's a lot of early instruction manuals i've created for the games were kind of bullet points and kind of ad hoc rules more so than a specific rule book designed for anybody playing the game straight off the bat it was more for my own kind of structure of what i'd needed in the future so one thing that i'd probably contain is like the introduction i, I like to have a, a like a paragraph or two uh, bringing like the team into the game but that's only because i go team down so i like to have this kind of this is what the game is about and this is why you're doing this i might also have specific rules about like setup and um, just because they're handy to have and then if i'm playing the game instead of having a pen and paper i would just uh, i just put it in my google doc and that just makes it easier because those setup things change so often because it's balancing the game, which, you know, balancing the game, you're going to continue on doing that. That's a long road. <laughs> yeah. So you just need something to change constantly. So it only, it only keeps, like, like Brian said, it only keeps bullet points, keeps the very kind of basic structure of the game. It usually doesn't even contain the rules of the game because they change so often that they're just in my head. So uh, what about the components for the game? Do you guys harvest components from old games you have or do you go like buy online oh yeah it's, it's always tempting to to rob from other board games where you're looking at them going oh you know i need i need like 10 meeple for this prototype and you're going oh look at that uh, look at stone age over there i don't i don't need the meeple out of that i can just rob them and then you come for a game of stone age a couple of months down the line you're going who has stolen all of my meeple this is a pain in the <laughs> but i i know i know there's if you are stealing them you know make a little note for yourself of where you're stealing them from just so you don't end up frustrated with yourself down the line but i i like to to buy them if i can i know there's a few websites out there without uh without giving many plugs i know there's spiel material and even amazon a lot of the large conventions will will have component shops and stuff there that you can uh that you can you can pick up you know i need 20 different cubes i need a few little cylinders i need a handful of meeple oh here's some funny little pieces i might include them and just... legacy games are very good as well because at the end of the legacy game you have no need for the components anymore <laughs> so they're really good to reuse yeah. and recycle yeah <laughs> Yeah, you'll you'll tend to pick up a whole lot of different components as you're going through the, the uh, developing the board game, um, and and a lot of them you might not even need for the first prototype, you know, like because some of them you'll you'll have an idea for like you know resources and for like meeples and stuff like that. And you can put those in, but um, you don't have to be too strict on yourself to say that those are the components for the rest of the board game. So always feel free to not be restricted and just kind of take them out, put them in, kind of uh, whatever you want. And card sleeves are very good, so. Writing on blank cards, as well as that, if you wanted to print out stuff, you can use those blank cards as a backing and just keep them in a card sleeve so that you can put your clip art or whatever it is you found off the internet to try and make the card in the first draft form in front of that. And they can kind of give it a bit more of a real playing card feel. Yeah, that, that's what we did for Save Princess Snowball and for Dice Summoners, as we use mm -hmm. sleeves. Because it just makes the game, makes developing a game so much easier because you never are final about it. You can just print off another A4 page of cards, slide them into the into the sleeves, and then you're away. 
early, early stages in the game where you're not really that confident as to what the mechanics will look like uh, or the rules, try and make it as easy as possible to change. It can feel a little bit like you've wasted a lot of time if you try and make really nice components at the start. It's perfectly fine as well for like hexagons and things to just cut out some hexagons by hand with a scissors uh, and see if hexagons work because maybe square tiles will be easier or maybe you decide that you don't want that element, you want a flat game board. Mm -hmm. And after having cut out 20 hexagons or trying to make 20 hexagons out of cardboard, you might feel like you've just wasted all day that you could have been playtesting and figuring out whether that's the right mechanic. Now, if, if you're a person who's just really good at art and you can, you know, you can throw together 20 different pictures and images and have lots of different card styles in half an afternoon, you know, don't, don't let this discourage you. Definitely throw an art style on it if you like. I know myself, I'd spend a week just trying to design four different cards, but I'm uh, minimally creatively challenged. <laughs> in a future podcast we have on higher quality prototypes, we're going to talk, we're going to go much more into depth as to the different components we use, the type of equipment we use, like printers and stuff like that. And so, yeah, check that out. So what kind of software do you use for our early prototypes? Is it kind of a mixture between writing things down on a piece of paper as well as like a Google document? Yeah, I, I know for early stages, just drawing it out on an A4 sheet of paper helps me kind of get it framed in my mind. I tend to use things like Microsoft Excel and uh, Publisher and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not great with Photoshop or GIMP or any of those photo editing softwares. I can do a bit, but it's not, it's not fantastic. But it, does, it is quite time consuming for me. So something that I can draw boxes on and I can just move around little shapes that you know will eventually change to proper artwork. I find that quite easy, but I don't know. There, there are lots of good software out there to, to use. I know uh, you guys use Nandek a lot. Yeah, I, I, I like to use Nandek for the first prototype. It allows you to create uh, production quality components, uh, which might seem kind of daunting at the start. It's, it's kind of well known in the board game industry to develop the final edit. So it can be kind of difficult to generate the stuff. It's primarily used to mass manufacture a lot of components that are very similar. So when it comes to dice summoners, that's like it can do all of the creatures and it can do all of the curses but it can be hard to tweak it if you don't know what you're doing. But because I'm so used to it, I find it very easy to use. It's not something you should learn on your first prototype. Definitely just do whatever kind of software feels good for you. If you have never used software, just feel free to use pen and paper or just use Microsoft Paint. A lot of the best prototypes we've created have been started in MS Paint. Yeah. Dice Summoner started off in MS Paint as well. So yeah, feel free to just kind of do whatever feels great. The only problem with MS Paint is changing it is difficult. Because yeah. you're just kind of stuck. It's just uh, pixels on a page. Uh, I know if you're if there's a few of you designing games together, like someone will always have the original idea and will will always be kind of spearheading the the changes and that. But if there's a few of you working together, Dropbox is a great way of kind of keeping track of what version you're on and everyone being able to access us. It's easier than sending six files back and forth every time. Going check these out. What do you think? Or do you guys want to make changes? Then two people make changes at the same time and now you have lots of different versions. Dropbox is a is a very handy one for going, you know, here's the most up-to-date file and you don't even have to pay for Dropbox if you don't want. You can get Dropbox for free and, and share all the all the details and pictures and files and everything with, with everyone else working on it. Yeah, we also have some other software we use but like a lot of it is kind of further down the line and um, so things like Slack are very handy if you're doing with a group of people. Uh, if you're only developing a board game by yourself, it's not a big deal. 
but Slack is very handy to just talk, talk to people. It's like an instant messaging for companies uh, and you can have like topics around it, which, which kind of helps, helps a lot just discussing your idea with other people. Okay, so what do you do with your prototype after it's created? I like to sit there and marvel in my own majesty. <laughs> I'm brilliant. This game is fantastic. It needs no changes whatsoever. You're ready to sell it to Hasbro. You, that's it. You've got it. You, you know, you know, this is it. You're retiring. Playtest it. <laughs> because when you sit down and you playtest, you're like, I've thought of everything. I have every rule covered. I have every possible eventuality. And then you'll sit down and someone will do something on the very first turn. You'll be like, oh, God, I never thought of that. <laughs> Yeah, get get out and play test it. You know, find a group of friends that likes board games, that doesn't like board games, and sit down and just play it. It's uh it's the best way of kind of getting feedback and finding out what needs to change, what doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I to- I totally agree. Creating the first board game can feel like very emotional, you know? So you do have you do put a lot of your own emotions into it. So when you do start getting feedback for the board game, it's very difficult for you to even figure out where this kind of stuff is coming from. So a lot of problems will be that when you're developing this board game idea with the mechanics and the teams and you're creating your first prototype, you kind of imagine it in a certain state. So it could be like medium to mid game state or the end game state where you have like lots of cool things happening, but maybe the game looks totally different at the setup. And so those are the kind of questions that playtesting is going to bring up because yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to know what your game is going to look like until you create it. It has way too much permutations, way too much length of time. You don't know how long the game is even going to last when you, when you first create it. So all those things will start coming to light as you create your first prototype. But yeah, just know that the more you put into it, the better it's going to be. So And, and don't try, try not to take it too personally if people are bringing back feedback on your playtest because obviously the artwork's going to be bad. Obviously the mechanics are going to be pretty bad and the team. But that's because it's the first prototype. When you're at your 40th prototype, It'll look totally different, and uh, you'll be, it'll be something to be proud of. But we can talk later, in a later podcast, about more of the details on playtesting. Yeah, we do have another podcast coming out shortly uh, about how to do playtesting, the do's and don'ts, you know, how to not be that guy who argues with you about everything. But we'll cover all that in a future one as well. Yeah, so from, I'll, just, I'll just talk about the first prototype of Dice Summers then. There's the, the first prototype was, it was mostly team-based. Each of the five factions, there's Enochian, Demon Altry, there's a science faction. The science faction has the, the dinosaurs, which was very controversial. But it was still there at the start. <laughs> <laughs> it was always there. And then you had the, you had the voodoo and the alchemists. So the al- al- alchemy was the ones that were combining creatures together. So like manticores and uh, stuff like that, and chimera. Um, and so there, all of these things were real things. Obviously, dinosaurs are considered more real. <laughs> but uh, the team was always there. And the idea was for each different faction, you'd do something to, je- to create those creatures. And the original idea was that you'd roll dice and you'd actually combine the dice to create a full symbol. So you'd have like four dice come together and it would create a summoning symbol around those four dice. That didn't work out so well because the probabilities and it meant that there were bad rolls and the bad rolls reminded me too much of picking up five cards in Magic Gathering and having nothing to do and so we kind of changed that so that you can always do something with your dice that was much further down not for the first prototype though <laughs> was a mess it was a total mess yeah it was also a worker placement <laughs> where you place your uh, your meeples down onto the cards to activate creatures which would give you dice 
and it was it was kind of it was crazy. But yeah, people still played it, and <laughs> I got some uh, pretty good feedback from it, and it became a real thing. So, does anybody else want to talk about their first uh, prototype? Yeah, first version of Bumper Bots was all about just you know having workers run around collecting pieces to build giant mechanoid robots to ultimately have a fight at the end and now it's about colonizing a planet so i mean your theme and mechanics and everything will definitely change now there's vortexes that'll you know pull you away and destroy your bots whereas previously you were just getting bumped into a corner and you were stuck so there yeah. will <laughs> definitely be a lot that will change along the way. Yeah, but what's, yeah you, you created the arm and then the leg and the body. Yeah, and yeah. And you created a giant robot. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it, it fell down a little in theme when, you know, you were finished the game and now you had to fight your giant robots, but you'd built six arms and two legs and a head, but no body. So you just kind of had a pile of limbs on the floor. And despite the fact that you might have had the most points, you weren't going to win in a fight against a guy who was just six legs walking around kicking everything. <laughs> yeah. That all comes out in the wash anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, if you want to share your memories of your first prototype, if you have any questions uh, or if you just want to feel free to chat, comment down below. We've been decking out some games. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you later. See ya.